Welcome to episode 38 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by others as masterpieces. I am joined as ever by Roger. Hello. Uh, I'm Nick, and today uh, we are having a dark episode as we uh, watch the epic um, in, well, certainly in length senses of the word, 1993 um, Spielberg film. Schindler's List. Um, we're returning to Spielberg. Is this our fourth fourth Spielberg film? It's certainly our third. We, we haven't we, really talked about him much since Raiders. We but haven't yeah, talked about um, him much Jaws, since Close Encounters. Raiders is uh, source Raiders. of Spielberg. Yes, yes. And this is... Um, well, this is his first Oscar winner and uh, really rather different. Well... Different in a lot of ways to his previous films. Let, let's put it that way. Schindler's List is the, oh, I don't want to say the most popular film about the Holocaust, but it was certainly the probably, it probably is the most successful, most widely known work of fiction, other than maybe the, the, is it an eight hour long documentary shower, um, mm. from the late eighties? Um, this is probably more widely known than that. And, Oh, it's a tough one. Um, we, uh, I don't know if we need a, a particularly potted history, but this is the story of Os, and it really is the story of Oscar Schindler rather than, as we may well come to, come on to Jewish people particularly. Uh, the story of Oscar, Oscar Schindler in, um, Poland during the elimination of the, the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw and his initial transition from exploitative munitions worker, well, factory worker, not even munitions worker, to uh, saviour of a thousand Jews due to um, diverting them from the concentration camps as the uh, the Nazi war regime ground to a desperate halt. Yeah, and I think the obvious question is, why did he do this when, you know, the other German entrepreneurs, chances and so on, didn't? And yes. I don't think the film answers that, but I don't think that's necessarily the wrong approach to take. Um, I mean, I the, the obvious trite way would be to say, you know, here is this moment, he sees this particular thing, and that changes his mind forever. And we don't get that, and that's good, because it would have been... We yeah. almost do, but I, I agree. I, so, uh, yes, he's... Um, I mean, there has been some sort of... Uh, cries that this film is not historically accurate, which it isn't, it's a film, um, and that it makes Schindler out to be an, a more heroic character than he was. Um, I'm not sure that it does. I mean, it leaves the enigma of what turned him from, um, yeah, uh, a, a basically money-obsessed um, financier, uh, well, uh, factory manager and womanizer, to someone who literally bankrupts himself to save as many people as he can. Mm-hmm. And they they are the facts of history. I mean, ultimately, although, you know, there's some question about the provenance of the list, and it almost certainly wasn't Schindler himself that wrote it, because he was in prison at the time of the list or lists. He did genuinely have a lot of money and spent it all 
saving as many Jewish people as he could during mm. the. So I, I, I agree with you as to why he did that. No one's really quite sure, but I, I think it, it would have been interesting to speculate. But I think it's a valid choice not to speculate. I, I agree with it. I, I think any speculation would have. Uh, I mean, the obvious conclusion is that he. Well, maybe not the obvious conclusion. To me, you know, he saw the horrors of the regime, and even though he was no he's gradually himself, becoming revolted. Yeah, exactly. It's po- not... Possibly he he believed the stuff in the early days, and then realised that no, hang on, this is this is just a pretext for mass murder. And then somehow found himself through accidents of uh, fate, found himself in a position where he could save some people. And I mean, that's my supposition as well, but that Spielberg doesn't push it any further than that. Mm. And that, I suppose your first reaction with the Spielberg film would be, oh goodness, he's gonna make this really schmaltzy and he's gonna make um, Schindler this hero figure, this Christ-like figure. Arguably, he slightly does a bit, but certainly not to the level you might hitherto have expected Steven Spielberg to do. Well, given I, his I other do bodies think, of work. yeah, I, I do think it does get a bit white savior at times. I mean, yes, he, it, on the one hand, it is his story. On the other hand, it it's very much he is he is the guy who does the things, and the Jews are acted upon much more than they act to themselves. They, they're not participating in in this struggle. They are the counters, the prizes to be moved here or there. Yes, and you know, on the one hand, they didn't have a lot of power or ability to do things for themselves. On the other hand, it it feels a bit uncomfortable, at least. It's a tricky one, isn't it? And, and certainly, you know, this film is not without uh, its critics, not least within the Jewish community and, and sort of historian community, for exactly that reason, yeah, that the Jews are utterly powerless here. Um, and that's a tricky one because, frankly, they were in a position where they'd had almost all power taken away from them. And mm. it's hard to... It's hard in that situation to portray them as people who are in charge of their own destiny not through any fault of their own just because of the many manifold injustices of the Nazi regime was designed to take away all agency from them and everything um, else yeah there is a bit else. early on in this that I think uh, does this very well um, where Schindler is, is talking with Jack Stern uh, about yes. you know I, I can be, essentially, he doesn't quite say it, which is a little odd, but essentially, I can be the German frontman for this factory. You guys yes. can put in the money, I can pay you in trade goods that you're gonna want. And yes. so, you know, everybody, everybody wins. And he's trying to be friendly and matey, and gradually he's realizing that he cannot be Itchak's friend because there is just so much power differential. They cannot have a friendship. Just, yes, just as you know, if if he were if he were sleeping with somebody young and pretty and Jewish, that would not be a consensual relationship because there is you know a, a word a, from him and she gets killed. It's an interesting, you know, as you mention it, the kind of parallel between that relationship and then um, later on Goethe's relationship with um, his housekeeper Helen, hmm. and he, he tries to, he almost tries to have a a connection. Ghost does, but but realizes. That he can't, as you say, for exactly the same reason that they're never going to be in in a situation even vaguely on a parity with each other. Yeah, uh, so that that is, and it's really well played by well both of them, mm. in, uh, Ben Kingsley and uh, Liam Neeson. I mean, we can talk about the actor, but in that scene, you know, Ben Kingsley knows it, and it's just so clear to him. Um, uh, or it's actually yeah, say, and, no, and I see a certain amount of 
how come you have not realised this? Exa- yeah, the, this yeah, is my it's, life. It's really nicely underplayed because it's the, the sort of a mixture of confusion and um, uh, not quite superiority, but feeling like you get the impression he feels Schindler's very naive in that moment. Um, hmm. It's just well, and it's not in the dialogue at all. It's just in the the mannerisms and the looks of confusion and uh, bewilderment. Uh, that are not that certainly not overplayed um yeah uh well we i guess we were talking about some of the problems it's probably worth getting some of the problems of the film out of the way Uh, yeah and white savior being i think one of the biggest issues you know the good german which is a very common trope really we can we can learn about nazi history but we have to see it through the eyes of a, you know, a good man. And uh, I suppose in a way we have a similar, not quite the same, but a similar situation in Das Boot. Um, You know, they are, they're good men there, though it's less, it's less obvious. Uh, I mean, they do less heroic things, but it's less. Well, we don't really have anybody in Das Boot who isn't in that power structure in some way. Uh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, it's a difficult one to know whether it's a problem or not. I, and certainly I'm not really qualified being neither Jewish nor German and certainly not being in any of those positions. For me, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, see, as we commented on Do the Right Thing, uh, we, we are outsiders to this thing. Exactly, exactly. Um, with with I the will slight say... exception that, you know, silence is consent and we are white and we, we are not the people who are going to get rounded up. Exactly, At yes. least not in the um... first wave. <laughs> no, no, until they start listening to podcasts and things. Um, the, uh, there is a way, I, I guess the, the other problem with Schindler's List, and as you say, it's, it's really Oscar Schindler's story and not, I, I think at least the novel is not particularly trying to do it from a Jewish perspective. And I think Spielberg, to his credit, does try, I'm not sure particularly successfully, but broaden it out to show some of it from a Jewish perspective. I mean, I come at this from having a perspective of, you know, the other major work of um, Holocaust fiction that I've read is Mouse. Um, mm-hmm. Arch Spiegelman's um, uh, 1986... It took him a long time to write and finish. Um, but it's uh, it certainly predated Schindler's List. Um, that is very much written... Um, from the perspective of, of a you know a Jewish survivor of Auschwitz, and it's it it does show you know some degree of agency and some self determination, if you like, for the Jewish people. But mm. you still also they are these are basically people who are almost canonically ground in the wheels of history. They they are the subject of subjugation by state um, of an entire... But but an, their individual lives still matter to them, and we don't really see these people's individual lives. Yes, and I think that is a valid criticism of Schindler's List. It's, it's worth... Uh, yeah, it's worth putting out there. I'm not sure that's desperately quite what it was trying to do, um, but it, but it's a, it's a fair criticism of it. Um, the other criticism is, um, again, I think, largely from the Jewish community, but... Um, is that you just shouldn't depict these things at all. To attempt to recreate them um, is a kind of a form of vulgarity, and to protect to have people pretending they're in that situation um, uh, is is almost an insult to the people who had to go through it. Um, mm, I, I don't. I don't tend to agree that there should be things that are just off limits. What I did feel um, the 
the women in the Auschwitz Jauer scene, you know, and they they have heard the rumours and they yes. do not know whether this is going to be water or gas. I did feel that just a bit that was playing on the audience and this is a bit of easy dramatic tension more than yeah. it was really justified. But uh, that, I that's you, no but problem. I, I, I think you're not the only person to feel that, that it, that it was played, uh, as you say, easy dramatic tension. I suppose my counter argument would be, I'm not sure it was easy dramatic, it was not well, easy watching. Well, it felt trite, that was the thing. Um, yeah, I, I take your point that, you know, people actually died in these rooms. Um, uh, I don't know, in the uh, context it, it, no, of the it, rest of the film. It's not the disrespect thing, it's saying we're going to use this significant, important thing. Yes. Not to, not even particularly to advance the story because we barely see them again, simply to raise the tension a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I suppose the counter argument would be this is an attempt, whether misguided or not, to, to show, you know, as close as it could possibly be to not being there, that kind of situation. I, I do take your point that, that it, it tritely raises tension. And the film doesn't really need to resort to it. The fact that they're just pulling up in Auschwitz, that, you know, they didn't need this, Spielberg didn't need to send them through the showers for us to realise the peril they're in. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can see both arguments really from there. I, I do feel like if they hadn't, to some extent, it shies away from the truth of Auschwitz. You know, it's yeah. been, the film at that point has been very explicit so far about not shying away from the Nazi brutality and the, um, well, the banality of evil that's going on here. That's just uh, the thoughtless killing and cruelty. Um, well, and to... what I think it does do that the rest of the film doesn't really manage is to say this is not just this guy whom we've met casually taking pot shots of people because he can. It's saying yeah. this is. Yeah, industrial scale murder. And yes. there's not really much else in the film that does make that point. So something like that is needed. I just didn't feel that particular way. I, I, yeah, I, I, I certainly take but I, I, did, I found it moving and a reminder. But I, I do take your point that perhaps it was a little trite. I, I suppose the other argument would be the other indication of the industrial stra- scale was when they have the um, exhumations and they've suddenly got to burn all the bodies. Um, hmm. Presumably to hide, I, again, it, it's not explicit in the film, I haven't checked, but presumably that's to hide evidence of all crimes from the yeah. advancing allies at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, that's another example of it. And you're right, there is also a danger in the film of portraying Eamon Girth as the villain rather than as one of one of many sadists or people who didn't try hard enough to resist it. Yeah, because we spend time with him because he's the big star. Um, yes. It, it drags things that way. I mean, I think I'll come back to this. Uh, my general feeling on this is, I, I particularly looking back on it after having watched it rather than so much at the time, is that this is a struggle between two Spielbergs. Yes. And most of the time this is the arty, take me seriously, Spielberg, who, you know, he's got it, he's got this reputation as a crowd pleaser. He's been doing stuff that was a bit less kid friendly and it's generally failed. Yes. Uh, Empire of the Sign, always hook. Oh yes. Yes, Um, that's true. So so he's coming back from that. I mean, he, he, he has 
well, we'll come back to this. I think he's just made Jurassic Park, but he's he's uh, editing that while this is being filmed. But he, he, so he filmed Jurassic Park in '92 and was editing Jurassic Park in the evening of the days when he was filming Schindler's List. Yeah, so that is going to be a huge success for him. But A, it's another crowd pleaser, and B, he doesn't yet know how huge a success it's going to be. Yes. Um, so that's, that's one part, and that, that's in charge most of the time, but occasionally the, the schmaltzy crowd pleaser Spielberg gets out and takes over. Yes. And for me, in particular, that breakdown at the end where Schindler is, is being thanked and weeping and saying, yeah. I could have saved more. Uh, that it loses me now. This the film had me. Well, we should say this is a three and a quarter hour film, maybe our longest. And it doesn't feel slow to me. It, at least. it really doesn't compared to Apocalypse. Now this didn't. I watched it in a few sittings because I know who has three hours free at yeah. a time these days. Um, but uh, I, I agree. I think you said it very well. You said it's um, uh, it, it's a slow film and it feels the right speeds, and that's true. It it doesn't rush through these things. It's not overly complex. I remember thinking, I remember on my first watch, you think, oh, it's a very complicated long film. It's not actually very complicated, as long as you understand some of the history about what's going on here. It doesn't actually add in a load, but it, it takes its time. For instance, the, um, now we were talking about the end scene, uh, so I'll stick with that for the minute. I, I, I agree. For, so for the most part, this film had me absolutely gripped and absolutely onside. It did lose me in those last, I think the last two scenes, that scene being one of them, hmm. because it just, it feels very Spielberg, you're right, it feels very, maybe, maybe we've been on a journey enough with Schindler here for him to be this person at the end, but it doesn't feel quite authentic or true, really. It's, I didn't... Yeah, I, I was thinking the other way around, I mean, we, we know him well enough that we don't need the big demonstration. Exactly, I, that's exactly what I feel. I, I don't need that scene of him sobbing, saying he could have saved one more, to tell me what kind of a man Oscar Schindler has become in this film. It, it's, it feels a bit obvious, um, and a bit trite, and just, yeah, schmaltzy in a way that we, we didn't really need having, well, you know, you said to me earlier, uh, off air, that, um, it has this very schmaltzy ending. I think my response while watching it halfway through was, well, maybe we need that, um, at the end, maybe we deserve it. But coming to the end and coming to that scene, I don't think we do need it. I, I, I think the fact that he has saved them, um, is enough. And we know that. We don't need him to be desperate to save more. Mm. Um, and the second, the, the other scene beyond that, which just didn't really, I understand the inspiration for it, but, but the, um, the, the transition of them sort of facing this uncertain future as they walked, oh, that was a hell of a punch. Like, as an aside, when they're rescued by the Soviet army, that's just like the, the worst kind of punchline to any, mm -hmm. um, uh, as it turns out, it's just this sole, um, Soviet soldier who's not really going to do anything. Um, uh, but we transition from that, the moment of them on the hill to them, uh, uh, in Israel. Uh, and I don't know, it almost feels like, there we go. It was as easy as that. Well, and yeah, that, that was know. also, I, I gather, a last-minute filming decision. I, I read that he, uh, Spielberg decided halfway through filming mm. that he was going to have this ending. And again, it feels um, a little... Oh, wow, um, a bunch of these people are actually still alive 40, 40 50 years later. Yeah, it's 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 moving, um, and it's, it's, it's good to see them, but it, it doesn't... Uh, I don't know. It, it, it suddenly feels like the ending of a different film. Um uh, but, uh, particularly, I, I'm not so 
down on that, but particularly the end, the, the, the collapse scene. But we're talking about the speed of scene. I would like to talk about a scene that absolutely does work, which is the, uh, the, the ghetto liquidation, mm. which it's 15 minutes. I, think. I mean, fa- favorite scene is not quite the way to put it, but it was, I thought it was very powerful. I think for me, having seen Saving Private Ryan, which opens with this stunning scene, which we may well come on to at some point, um, this is that scene to me. This is like, this feels like a genuine, uh, as, as close as it could be recreation of, uh, you know, it doesn't pull a lot of punches. I mean, it may have been even worse in reality, um, but it's, it's pretty horrific. Um, and it, it's, it's extended and I don't feel like it's, gratuitous either I, I think you you need to understand what's happening mm. here um, and this is the thing it, it is a three-hour film and obviously you could make a shorter version of it but i don't think you could make a shorter version that was as effective yes as you say powerful i think you said and I, I agree with that and that really comes across it and then we have almost no characters no named characters in that scene really that we are aware of um or that we haven't been i don't is it Sexton in that scene? I can't remember. I think he is. I can't remember where he is. In that I think scene, he's on but, the periphery of it. But it's almost all just these individual little stories of um, horror, for the most part, and very gl- brief glimpses of humanity and, and bravery um, and pure survival instinct. And I think in, in some ways that does show... You know, the ingenuity. That's the part that mirrored Mouse a little bit to me. A lot of Mouse is about the ingenuity of how some people survived and through their quick thinking and volunteering and that sort of thing. For instance, the um, the character who suddenly starts piling up the suitcases um, as the Nazis are coming past uh, and, and bluffs his way out of a near guaranteed death and, and actually survives to the end of the film. Mm. And Mouse is full of little stories like that, part chance, part ingenuity, um, that really sort of ring true to me that yes uh, you don't have a lot of agency in that situation but if you're lucky and quick quick witted yeah. you might just stand a, a, a tiny chance as opposed to no chance at all so it, i feel like that is as well as powerful it does add some some small agency to to the jewish characters in the film um yeah oh. so mouse yeah came out in 91 so was so already was already and I think the first book, it's two books, Mouse, and the first book, incidentally, I think Arch Beagleman really didn't think much of Schindler's List. And, and I think mm. largely because he was coming at it from a Jewish perspective and, and kind of there's no Jewish characters in it, uh, which isn't quite true. We do have It's Eckstern, who is something of a, um, a composite character, I believe, of a number mm. of historical people who weren't actually in the film, including the people who, who wrote up the, the list. Um, well, so we were talking about scenes that don't work and scenes that that did. Um, uh, are there any others that stand out to you? Oh, now's a good time talking about the the the, the cleansing, if you like, or the the liquidation of the ghetto. Uh, to talk about the girl in the red dress. What, what's your yeah. reaction? Well, I think before before we get there, um, okay. I don't know to what extent this has changed over time. To a an audience at the time, I think, at least in the UK and I think in the US, they would have been used to seeing black and white film yeah. as a regular thing. I mean, not just the World War II documentaries, but which, which is obviously the inspiration here, but also yes. you know, just watching stuff in black and white in general was was a, a thing we were used to doing. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We always use it Sunday afternoon TV and things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I I think that is less true of people now. I mean, when when they started colorizing films, which would be about this point, eighties nineties, <laughs> there was a lot of fuss about you know why why on earth do it. But I have seen people, um, you know, twenty years, <laughs> thirty years younger than me say, no, ju- yeah, black and white is just too distracting. I can't watch it at all. Because they ha- they haven't grown up with it the way we did, which is fair enough. Well, that's, it's hard, isn't it? Because uh, to me, I'm almost more comfortable with the black and white films sometimes. But yes, I understand it can be distracting. Uh, it, it is a consciously nowadays to do a film in black and white. It's a consciously artistic choice, mm. which um, I think it was here as well. To be fair. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah, and, and this is one of the first ones I am aware of as being consciously. Um, I I used to uh, I don't know slightly resent it in the sense of like oh why would you why don't you just do a realistic and I don't, I don't particularly know why it's no more wrong or right than any other stylistic or artistic choice than any filmmaker has to make so I don't know why I did resent it I I certainly don't mind it here and I do think it really helps to match it in with the newsreel footage at the time well combine that with uh, Janusz Kaminski uh, the cinematographer who, who's this was his first collaboration with Spielberg they've worked together quite a bit since right um, who does a very good job of you know, when you're shooting in black and white you don't just shoot it as colour and desaturate it you say okay this is the way a scene should look in yes. black and white and you have to compose it that way and light it that way and, and this all comes together very nicely Um Obviously, the easy option is to go for stark and underlit, and there's a bit of that, but I think in general, you, know, you can at least see what's happening. Yeah. Even it's, if sometimes you'd rather not. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, I, I did wonder about the other thing. It makes the, you know, it's pretty graphic executions here, um, and I wonder if they are more... Uh, I, you know, in, in some films, I frankly am distracted by the colour of the blood and the way things look mm. there, and, and here, it just, it, it, it just looks... Real, it's horrifyingly real, um, and I, I think it. I think it well, works also well. because it's not set up as you know, well, you know, compare Reservoir Dogs, where uh, when the cop finally gets shot, that is shocking because it's happening suddenly. Yes, but there's been build up to say this is the sort of thing that might happen, and here there isn't because it's just this isn't you know, this is not a big emotional task for me. This is just a thing I do. It's just well, the first the first. Well, I suppose not quite the first, but one of the early graphic killings in the uh, in the concentration camp is the the uh, the Jewish um, architect who's mm. saying this is all going to be put down and built, and and that is one of the first ones. In fact, one of the only killings where you sort of feel some tension building up to it. You're like, is this actually going to happen? From then, you're almost as most of the characters in the film, you're almost inured to this just constant mm. shooting and, and disposable nature of human life. Um, but yeah, okay, sorry, we were talking about the, the, the black and white nature. I, I think it probably was the right choice and certainly worked on rewatch here in general. Would, would you feel the same about the black and white? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm old enough that I don't have a problem with black and white yeah. anyway. I think it works. I think, I think it, if you made it in colour and made it well, it would be a different film. Uh, yes. I can't say whether it would be a better or worse film. This is certainly one that works pretty well, I think, so. So coming then back on to our, um, our girl in the red dress, the, the, the standout sort of, um, and yeah, there I gotta say, it smells of the lamp. Uh, <laughs> it's so, it's too consciously, I want to make a point here that it throws me out of the immersion. I think that's, that's my problem as well. And instead of, um, thinking, oh, these people are all 
they're all people. They're not just... I, I kind of, you know, I was already thinking that anyway. One, um, I'm not quite... It's not entirely clear what the point is that's being made, and to some extent you can leave that up to your interpreter. Is it, this is the one soul that pricks Schindler's conscience and he realises the problem, or is it a, an indication to us that they're all individuals or something more? So on the one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of pulled out by, a point is being made, I'm not mm. quite sure what the point is. And on the other hand, it suddenly makes me aware this is a film set. There's there's lighting here and studios and actors and people. Yeah, that, that's what I mean by the immersion. That you know, yeah, I can I can watch a black and white film and think, okay, that you know, some this is stuff happening in front of a camera that happened to be black and white. Yeah, when you when you go and highlight this spe- specific element of it, that that says, okay, this has been processed. Yeah, which obviously it has anyway, but it shouldn't feel as if it has been. Yeah, I think for both of us, then that is there. Uh, I, I have I, seen one example of this done well. Uh, which is Die Farb, uh, oh, right. German adaptation of The Colour Out of Space from a few years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, which was made in black and white largely for budgetary reasons because it was still cheaper. Um, and is it the colour that's in colour? But the colour is the only colour. That's a great idea. How do you display something alien? Well, to desaturate everything. That's a really good idea. That's like the classic, how do you display to the fourth dimension? Well, describe it in terms of two dimensions, and then, yeah, that's that's a genius idea. Though I still want to see the Nicolas Cage version. Anyway, mm. um... Uh, shall, yes, shall we talk I, I, about the production side of things for a bit? Yes, of course. Because, I mean, this this starts really in, in uh, 1963 with Poldek Pfefferberg, one of, one of the survivors, who had been trying to get Basically, that's when he started trying to get this something like this made. He was one of the uh, the Schindler youth, in, I yeah. Think, the, 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 yes. Um, then Thomas Keneally in eighty two uh, published Schindler's Ark, uh, yes. which is basically the, the 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 I think it would be fair to say the book that the film was made from. Though obviously there was other research as well, but that book yes. came to Spielberg's attention. He got interested at the time. He didn't feel he was mature enough as a filmmaker. Yes, he asked a number of other filmmakers um, if they'd be interested, um, most of whom weren't or weren't ready either. Scorsese, I don't know how Scorsese would have done this. It would have been hey. <laughs> even more depressing. Uh, but yes, So, so uh, that, then we get, and the, this is, I'm not saying it's causative, it might be just an interesting coincidence, uh, but yeah, on, on the set of um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, he meets Kate Capshaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, she converts from Protestantism to Judaism to marry him, uh, in 91. And one of the effects of that on him is, is that he starts taking his own Judaism a lot more seriously. Yeah, apparently he reawakens his, um, his, yes, his feelings of his past and where he came from. But so, he already so does the book by then, didn't he? Um, uh, he'd already been interested in the book, but I think that that may have kicked things into gear a bit more. Also, um, the rise of fascist groups in post-communist Eastern Europe after the wall came down. Thankfully, that came to nothing, didn't it? So we're all all right now. Uh, but yes, it was a uh, yes, it was a number of things that made him feel. So you got one, it was multiple things pointing in the same direction as this seems to be a time when I can make this film, and this seems to be a good time for this film to be made. Uh. Yes, and um well, I guess that's what. So Spielberg, it, you would not think was a natural fit for this film, um, but he's bloody good at it. You know, I, I will say he well, surprised. I think me he had already time. been trying to get away from the re- re- reputation of being being the crowd pleaser. Um, 
He had, though he has got Jurassic but, Park coming out. As I say, um, yeah, Empire of the Sun. First film to be made in China after it opened up in the 80s. Yeah. Not a big commercial success. Uh, I, always, I like Empire of the Sun. Yeah. Uh, always a terrible film. Though. <laughs> uh, remake of a film he loved as a kid. Yes. Not a commercial um, success. Uh, and, of course, Hook. Oh, I don't know if that's moving away from his crowd. I think he would have been quite happy if it was a crowd pleaser. Well, that's uh, the thing. That That's starting to say he can't even do the crowd pleaser anymore. So right, he, he yeah. took, um And that was after he'd taken a bit of a break. But So he comes back with Jurassic Park and this. And, bit of a uh, double whammy, isn't it? Uh, apparently one, one of the reasons it was in that order was he, he, he was told that, yeah, you're, you're not going to want to make Jurassic Park coming off the back of this. Which I yes. think is fair. And I can see why, you know, having made this, you would look back on, you know, the the cartoonish Nazis in uh, Raiders uh, and Last Crusade and feel a bit uncomfortable about it. It's almost like he's redressing the balance a bit. Um, well, again, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not against uh, having Nazis as easy bazzies, but uh, there is a lot to be said for portraying the true horror of their regime rather than. Well, the, the thing that is one one of the bigger problems of the film for me, and I, I, I yeah. Uh, slight spoiler, you know, I, I, I did like the film, I think it works very well, uh, but it, I do come away with this feeling that everyone we meet is either absolutely good or absolutely evil. I don't see Girth struggling to be a good guy. I don't see Schindler struggling to, not to be a you know. Well, I, I felt Schindler is almost the grey out. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact you knew he wasn't going to be a villain the whole... I, he's more of a chancer, isn't he? He's kind of a... Uh, I, it's difficult, as, as, um, I mean, in that sort of regime, you kind of are absolutely evil unless you're struggling against it. it, it it's, uh, I mean, Girth was, by, as far as I can tell, um, a particularly horrendous example of a Nazi. Like, he was, when he was hanged after the war, it was not just for genocide, like most of the other genocide, it was for homicide, because mm. people knew he'd personally gone around killing as many pretty much as many Jews as he could. So, I, um, the, the thing is, I mean, there are some sorts of stories, some sorts of narrative in which it's absolutely fine to do that. Yeah. Such as Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark, for example. Yeah. Um, the, the problem I have when it's in the real world is that it is very easy for me or, you know, random audience member to look at myself and think, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not absolutely evil. Yeah. Therefore, I must be one of the good guys. It's reassuring. It makes people feel comfortable. Yeah. I and uh, uh, this, I mean, I've I've been saying the same thing recently. Where as uh, Hollywood finally starts to tackle racism in the sixties and seventies, yeah, I would like to see you know the white guy who is a racist but doesn't think of himself as a bad person. I would like to see the black guy who is not a saint. Here, I would like to see you know, the, I'm surely there were some Jews who were trying to get one up on each other. Surely yes, there again, were some in, Nazis in Mouse who... and some fictions, yeah, you, you see the, the Jews the, the, betraying the... each other and, um. I'm not, I'm not saying, absolutely not saying that some, a Nazi who was less horrible than the rest would be a good guy, but I would like to see that bit of nuance there of, you know, maybe I didn't feel terribly strongly about the whole Jewish thing, but you know, I didn't really care, I went along with it, and now I'm confronted with it, and that's, we get that to a certain extent with Schindler, but we don't with anybody else. I, 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 I'm slightly taking it. You know, there are moments where it's quite clear Girth is, um, fooling himself and not, I don't know that he ever thinks he's a good person, but he probably doesn't think of himself as a bad person. There's no suggestion that he is. Well, no, nobody ever thinks of themselves as a bad person. Well, that, exactly. Uh, but he's, he's not like a cackling 
villain so much. He's he's this kind of dark side, and, and similarly, uh, you know, we have, for instance, the the when Shinda gets arrested for corruption, there's the other Nazi in the cell who mm. clearly sees the lie behind the Nazi regime. You know, just with a couple of lines of dialogue, you know, he makes it. Quite, Did your prick fall off? And they both start laughing. Um, it's. Um, and then he meets a number of other sort of commandants who I feel are, you know, their, their demeanour is like, we, you know, we don't really believe this stuff, but you've got to, we've got to go along with it. There's, there's the rules. So I, I felt there was some nuance there, but I suppose also as a counter argument, you know, that, you know, these things actually happen. These, these people were treated mm. like this and it's hard to show that in a nuanced, it's hard to show the extremes of that behaviour in a nuanced way. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I, that's I think fair. it's, you know, who, who, if you did question these orders, you'd be in the death pit yourself as well. I, I don't, I, I take your point, but these are the, the absolute extremes of, of, sadly not the only regime that's ever been like this, but one of the more, uh, evil regimes of history. And it, yeah, it's hard. I, I, I don't know. To I mean, find the nuance there. Maybe, maybe it, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not making this film. I probably wouldn't make it better than Spielberg did. I would like to have seen a Nazi who was quite happily going along with all this. He doesn't think he's a bad guy. He, he's not, yeah. he's not a murderer. He's not shooting people off his balcony, but he, I mean, he's doing his job. And then from the Jewish position, obviously he's exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. It would have been nice to have some power. I, I agree. There is a danger. To some extent, of having yet more Nazis with the heart of gold is um, well, yeah, you know, we've already got this trope of the good German or the white savior, um, and I I think, yeah, I I think there's a danger of portraying. I think you're right on the Jewish side. It would have been nice to humanise them a little bit more. I mean, they look believably scared and believably distressed, and they realistically yeah. do. But we never know anything more about them to really understand. And to be fair, uh, the film was criticised because most of what it showed them doing uh, prior to the clearance was basically commercial. Yeah, there's so. talks about the black market and how they, and, and yes, it sort of reinforces, I think there's an argument to be made that it kind of, in a lot of ways, reinforces the Jewish stereotype, um, before putting them through hell. Um, and, and the other sort of criticism of the film, which is not necessarily, I was trying to think about how I felt about this, you know, when they asked, uh, possibly apocryphally, if they asked, uh, when they asked Kubrick, about um <laughs> about the Holocaust film Schindler's List and he said that's not a Holocaust film. <laughs> you mm. know, the Holocaust was about six million people who died. That was a film about the six hundred who survived. Now his numbers were a little off in that case, but um I, I take his point or whoever's point it was, if it wasn't him, that it really focuses on these eleven hundred lives that were saved mm. and does that is that a fair balance? I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, but, you know, six million people died. And so that is a tiny, tiny drop in the ocean. Um, but would it be a story that you'd be able to navigate without also, that humanity in it? As you say, Shoah had already been made. Yes. And you and could make, you could make an argument that there, there is a, a space in, in the world for a documentary about this that it is not, that is not eight hours long. Yes, but, I mean, this one's I mean, three hours long. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure how I feel about. Yes, as you say, but we we knew the horrors of it, and 
maybe there is something. Yes, we can knock away at the pillar, the pedestal that Oscar Schindler has put on here. But the facts of the case are, are broadly true, that he did, through his actions and through bankrupting himself, he he saved the lives of as many people as he could. Mm. And that's a good thing, and I don't yeah, think yeah. that's necessarily a wrong thing to show that such... Yeah, that I'm, 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 I'm nibbling around the edges here. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> certainly not trying to argue with the main point. No, um, no, I, just, I, yeah. I suppose I'm arguing with myself, really. I just wonder whether it is valid to focus on this good act rather than the terror of the Nets. Right? Well, I think as, I, lo- as long as you're not claiming that this is the entire story. Yes. And it's, it's difficult to, to, to show that. Yeah. Uh, and to some extent, I think the film has been a victim of its own success because, you know, I'm, I'm coming to it, what are we, uh, getting, getting on for 30 years later. Yeah. And I already know the basic story. Um, yes. And I think pretty much everybody who, who was paying even slight attention knows the basic story. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm not getting surprised by that the way perhaps I, I was intended to be. No, I still found it gripping though. I mean, I, I've seen this before. Um, I, in a, yeah, well, I, I, I did miss it at the time. I, I, uh, well, I yeah, I, I found it gripping and move it, it moves. It, it's not it's not a slow film as we talked about. Should we talk about the performance? We talked about the director. We talked about the kind hmm. of the story and the morality of so, it. So yeah, Liam Neeson is in an interesting position in his career here because he's had a few significant, but yeah, not star, not necessarily starring parts. You know, Sukawain in Excalibur. We talked about Borman the other day. Oh goodness, I've forgotten about that. He's in Darkman as well. That's yeah, uh, he's in the Deadpool as, as the horror director. Oh goodness, yeah. So it was a, but, you know, a they're, sort they're, of a. It was not a name character, but a they're, name they're second fiddle parts, and yes, yeah. none of them are. Yeah, and he he was starring in Darkman. Oh yeah, but it was that was sort of a cult film more than anything. Uh, and then. Uh, yeah, Spielberg saw him in uh, the play Anna Christie on Broadway. Right. And various other people uh, tried out for the role, but um, Spielberg gave, gave it to Neeson. And he did did apparently actually read the book, so... <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I I mean, he's, he's very... He, he's... He really, I, I mean, uh, Spiel, uh, Spielberg, sorry, Schindler's something of an enigma, as we've said, but mm. here he, he doesn't seem like a unbelievable character, and he, it, the journey he goes on doesn't seem ridiculous. Now, whether that's all down to Neeson's acting, I don't know, but he does, he really does give across this, um, impression of why the Nazis wouldn't, would be friends with him, and why they wouldn't mm. kind of suspect him, but also, you see that the power of uh, something more within him that seems to be missing from the others around him. It's, yeah, it's the, a the, really good performance. The subtlety is it's, it's almost acting as almost a sort of holy fool. You know, he's he's talking to the Nazi officials and saying, well, yeah, of course I want to make money. Don't we all want to make money? This is how yeah. I make money. Um, yeah. In, in this completely naive way. Which, yeah, which, which the, he brings over very effectively, I think. He did to the point where you can see the others all feel a bit superior to him. Um even when they're being played, um, including Guth. Um, mm. uh, yes, I, I think a, a brilliant performance by Liam Neeson, really. Um, I, I've not seen him in anything before or since that made me feel... Um, I mean, he's unfortunately, Liam Neeson got kind of saddled with um, 
well, I'm sure he enjoys it. Well, I don't know, but I'm not a, a fan of revenge porn kind of films, which seems to be all the Taken franchise that he's got tied up in. Yeah, well, as Marianne pointed out in, in a review of, uh, I think it was Blacklight recently, uh, you know, blink, blink twice if they're forcing you to make more of these films. <laughs> um, he was also uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, and that, that was his other big career step. Oh, so he, uh, he's I one mean, of the he, bright he's, he's points been in other of... Stuff. I mean, somehow in uh, The Phantom Menace, he actually makes that style of acting work and, and be an interesting character, which almost no one else in the film manages because God knows what they're being told to act like. But mm. um, but he's he's one of the few bright spots in The Phantom Menace, I must say. <laughs> um, but, but here he's very, very good, as is Ben Kingsley, as we've already talked about in that one scene. Um, yeah. Now, Ben, yeah, ben Kingsley, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is this you're, you're not saying about him in this film so much? No, uh, I mean he he was pretty darn good in in Gandhi in eighty two. I, I didn't love the film, but I think he he did a good job in it. Yes, uh, he does a very good job here. Um, yes, yes. He's, and um, then I, I rather lost track of him after that. But these days, if I see his name in a film trailer, I know the film is going to be rubbish. <laughs> um, I quite liked him in Iron Man 3, I must say, but there we go. <laughs> that's, that's me. Um, yeah, but yes, here he's, well, you know, we talked about, um, that opening scene where it's quite clear they can never be friends. Hmm. But between the two of them. They, they do get there eventually, but it, it's. They do. It, well, if you look at it in terms of the power differential, this, this is at the point where Stern could clearly. At the cost of everything of himself, obviously, but he he could yes. denounce Schindler, yes, as as a um, profiteer from the German state. I mean, they would both be killed at that point. Schindler could denounce Stern, and they would probably both be killed at that point. They, they've yeah, they've I, come I, to something more like parity, and therefore that's how I see it anyway. Yes, there's a, there's that moment though when um, I, it's such a, an interesting. Character Stern. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, unfortunately, how true it is to the real life character because he's he's got a number of other characters folded into him. But that moment when he—well, that's the thing. He, I mean, there were effectively three. I think three different I think people so, rolled into yeah. that who who were managers and accountants and so on at different times and different places. So it's hard to know how true it is. But that moment when he realizes they're all going to get sent off to Auschwitz or wherever, but basically concentration camps. Um, but he's still working out what's best to do for his boss, for Schindler. He's like, well, you can get some Polish workers. Um, and that's the scene that we finally see Stern have that drink that he's never mm. had before. And he said, when oh, when uh, Schindler says, well, we'll meet up after this and have a drink. And he says, well, I think I better have it now. Just, I, I don't mm -hmm. know, just, the, the acting there is just, ah, oh, it's amazing. That, the character that's still... Loyal and interest, but still something underneath it of humanity. At, uh, and you know, you get the impression he was the driving force early on behind, behind all the, the, the savior, uh, behavior. Mm. So to some extent, you know, he is, um, a Jewish character with some agency, um, yeah. that persuades his boss to do, but he's a phenomenal, um, bit of acting. Uh, for me, uh, I, uh, Rafe, uh, Ray Fines, um, or Ralph, I don't know why we can't call say Ralph, because that's how it's spelled, but we, we say Ray Fines, um, it's just, I, I mean, I, I love him as an actor, I've seen, I, the, the, I'm not a fan of Wes Anderson, but I must say the Grand Budapest Hotel with Ray Fines is just a joy to watch. Um, hmm. Here, I don't know, I just find him 
chillingly realistic because uh, just mm. that kind of troubled, clearly man, clearly in pain and lonely, um, uh, but also just an utter destructive, despicable bastard. I, did, I, I think he. I don't know if there's a lot of nuance to Gus. I don't know if you need to add a lot, but he gets across the deeply damaged nature of his character as well as the, the sheer inhumanity of it. I it's an amazing performance as well. It's also as, very nearly his film debut. I mean, he'd been on stage a lot, obviously, but um, he'd been in an adaptation of Wuthering Heights the year before uh, as Heathcliff. Heathcliff? I was going to say, surely he uh, was Heathcliff, right, OK. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, and then I, I, there's a small part in The Baby of Masson, Macon, I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, he he doesn't have a lot of film experience at this point. He, he's he's playing it as stage, and I think it works in this. It, it's quite claustrophobic most of the time. I think that works. Yeah, I yes. Well, I was going to say I, in the opening, I was going to say this is an epic movie, but it kind of isn't really. A lot of it is small scale and 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 uh, tight. The, the the kind of the big scenes, uh, I suppose, the standout scenes would be the kind of the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, Liquidation. Um, I suppose there are some some wide scenes as well, but for the most part, yes, they're, they're two handers or smaller, uh, uh, small scenes. That does a lot of we, here we here we are in yet another office. Yes, exactly. Yes, um, we haven't talked a lot about the act, uh, the female actors um, very much because I mean we have um, Schindler's wife, but she doesn't really do very much. I'm afraid the 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 you know the the female actress uh, the actor that stands out most um is probably is it Embeth Davitz that who plays Helen mm. the uh the manservant um and again it, she doesn't have a lot to do other than be a victim unfortunately but it, it, she's very well acted there I mean I, I'm not sure what else she could have done in that position but we we don't have a lot of I, I mean the other the other female actors there or the real female characters really there to be degraded and abused um i don't mean in an exploitative way it's just unfortunately that's that's the situation they're in for the most yeah. part yeah um i don't know i i've i've generally felt that spielberg doesn't really know what to do with female characters a lot of the time <laughs> Yeah. As as we said in in the back the Back to the Future series, which well, not directly his, but uh, well, so, that, I mean, literally, sort of thinking, Back to yeah. the Future too. They you know they had to put they, but that 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 thinking that you know the the male characters are the ones who do stuff and the female characters are the ones who turn up at the end to be the prize was uh, a a very wide widely held attitude in in filmmaking. Yes, and I th- I'm I'm not saying that's what's happening here. It's not, but I think there's a certain feeling of well, that's that's how we write female parts, and we don't have a part like that here. So what do we do? Yeah, exactly. There wasn't really much for any female character. Indeed. Schindler's wife barely gets a look in. You don't really understand her motivations for being with this womanizing bastard. <laughs> she she was, I gather, quite an active participant in the whole saving the Jews thing. But you, yes. wouldn't, you wouldn't know it from the film. You wouldn't know it from the film. She comes in in the last five minutes. Um, uh, I don't think in reality their marriage survived much longer. I think they, did they go to South America and have some failed? Uh, but anyway, it, it, it's irrelevant to the point that yeah, she's she's I suspect greatly played down in the film. It's certainly according to her. So we, we, certainly compared to reality. Um, so, well, in, in part, I think that's because as as we said, it's it's focusing specifically on. Schindler and what he did. 
Yes. To some extent, yeah. to keep the story simple. That's yes. not necessarily a bad thing. It may not be the choice I, w- I would like to make, but, you know. I don't know that the film needs to be any more complex or any longer. Yeah. And I, I, I think we've said, as we said, a more hurried transformation in Oscar Schindler wouldn't feel right either. I think to some extent that's why the end scene doesn't quite ring true, because it's been such a gradual shift in him that then to suddenly have him break down, however true yeah. to life it may be, it just it feels a bit sudden and a bit schmaltzy. To um, be honest, I I think he gets a much better send off in the in the earlier scene where he's saying, "Okay, so you know the the, the um, Allied armies are going to be here tomorrow." Yep. Um, I am still a member of the Nazi Party, and therefore I'm going to have to flee. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Know, that, I'll stay with you for five minutes after the after the war's over, and then I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappear. But that that to me don't, says the thing much more effectively than the big emotional breakdown scene. Some of that's my taste, you know. I no, I agree, and I, I don't think we're alone in thinking that. Um, I would like to bring up the soundtrack. It's John is it hmm. John Williams soundtrack again? I. Um, I am not normally so uh, troubled or noticed the soundtrack um, as as you, I think we've said before, but I must say I got a bit tired of violins by the end of Schindler's List. Mm. Maybe that is just me. I feel like I noticed them. Perhaps it's because a lot of the films don't have um, soundtracks. Some of the most horrific scenes, I think quite rightly, are just stark. There's no soundtrack. Or I didn't notice them, if there was one, because I'm carried away by what's happening. Um yeah, I, I did find it, it faded more into the background for me, uh, which is what I want a film soundtrack to do. It, it, it should set a mood, but I shouldn't notice it unless I'm actually listening out for it. I, I didn't find it distracting this time, so. Maybe I'm particularly sensitive. My, my brother tried to learn the violin for a while. Maybe I'm particularly sensitive to the sound yeah. of a violin. Um, it just, I felt a bit like, oh, isn't this sad? Here's some sad people looking sad. Yeah, I, I don't need the violin to tell me that as well. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm also feeling sad. Um, that said, I mean, uh, I've been very sort of coy about how I feel about the film to some extent. I will say, you know, one of my measurements of a film in Ribbon of Memes, and was it a masterpiece, is if it moves me emotionally. I spent a good 30-40% of this film crying. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it absolutely uh hit me emotionally. Now, whether that's Spielberg, I, I don't know that they're particularly Spielbergian tropes the mo- the moments that moved me that the whole of the warsaw ghetto clearing the 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 auschwitz sequence again for me um the moment they pull up in auschwitz and you realize what's happened that you could argue maybe it should have stopped there when they realize where they are but uh, that whole moment um the, the when the kids are escaping from the clutches of the nazis just just at the sheer horror and waste of life of it mm. i spent a lot of it feeling very emotionally delicate um so uh, uh, from that score for me that uh, i i think this is and we've talked a lot about criticisms all all valid i think and a lot about um where things could have been different but i for me for a film about this subject matter from this director i just think it's it's absolutely spectacular achievement there's not many three-hour films i could feel like well, that went by quite quickly, actually. Mm. Um, three, particularly three-hour films depicting this kind of stuff. It didn't 
get me to quite the same extent. I mean, partly this is because I have a black and clinkered heart, as, as we yes, all know. Yes, as we know. Yeah, uh, record. The other thing is, I, I, I think most of the people listening to this, at least those, those of you who have let yourself be known to me, uh, are aware <laughs> that I'm a role player and I have been running a 10 plus year, um, role playing game set during the Second World War. Hmm. So, it's not just that I already knew this stuff, it's that I have had to internalise a lot of stuff and then build fiction on top of it. Now, do so, you mean uh, Nazi stuff and their... Uh, 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 oh, sorry, I don't mean that in any way. That you're bigger, but are you slightly more used to this environment mentally then? Or? Well, it's more that there were really very few surprises you know i yeah. i am quite familiar with many of the ways in which people people were being horrible to other people in that time and in that place yes and so when it's he's randomly shooting people off his balcony my, my reaction is not that's horrible yeah. but yeah that was the thing that this guy did and that guy did yeah yeah but i will say i suppose i, I interesting to me or compare it to platoon you know we have the the infamous village scene in platoon where they uh where they go nuts and shoot up a pig in a few villages, and um, comparing that to the actual, is it the Maytai? I've I've forgotten Maytai. Maytai, Maytai massacre, uh, which I know a bit about now. The actual platoon seemed pretty tame, whereas here I I have you know I've since subsequently read Mouse and am aware of you know the horrors of the Ostfront and um, the the war in the Pacific. I know a bit more about the Second World War and I knew how horrific it was, and I I feel that this film. Knowing that the film doesn't shy away from it, it doesn't pretend it wasn't like that, um, and I found it more moving in a way because I knew mm. that it was true, because I knew that these things happened, and if if these exact things that we're seeing didn't happen, something very much like them happened sure. somewhere in the world. And yeah. I, I I found that hard to deal with emotionally. Yeah, but one one or two small things. I mean. Uh, look at the cinematography. I, I do appreciate uh, that this is, to some extent, Spielberg deliberately taking a step back from the big films he's known for. But it's yeah. largely handheld cameras, yeah. not much in the way of zoom lenses, uh, no steady cams, and so on. Yes, so that um, reverse zoom nonsense that you hated in, in Jaws. Oh, the dolly zoom is a separate thing, but uh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I agree. Yes, it's it's much more. Uh, I it, think it gives it's. Um, it's described as a documentary feel. I don't quite get that, but I do feel a sense of immediacy from it. Uh, with, yeah. with a few exceptions, as we said, with the, with the girl in the red dress, it feels much more like this is a thing that somebody who was there could be seeing. Yes, yeah. Which I think and works very effectively. It does. I mean, maybe there's a danger in that, in that, you know, then it's setting itself up as a documentary, um, which it isn't. It's fiction. Mm. Um, uh, but I don't mind it. I agree. I agree. I think it works very well. It's very different. He's it's a fictionalised version of real people. Yes, exactly. And he's learning a, a new sort of filmic skill. Uh, and he's been a better filmmaker for it since, I think. And he was a pretty good one before this. I mean, there's a reason this is our fourth Spielberg film, because he has chunked out his fair number of masterpieces along his route. Um, mm, I, I've, I was never a huge fan at the time, but I can certainly appreciate what he's been doing. So. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I, I, have we had any other directors that many? Not, not maybe. I don't we think so. Been, no. If we'd started earlier, we may go round again. Maybe we would have had Hitchcock. Um, eh. Not, I don't know. not the world's biggest Hitchcock fan, but we, we can come back and talk about that. We can. Let's talk later. about that another time. Um, 
But yes, uh, <sighs> any more you would like to say about Schindler's List? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, will, I will certainly agree, masterpiece. Well, there we go. I mean, I think that was the question, really. Yes, it, for for us both. Would would I recommend it to everybody? No, but there are very few films I would recommend to everybody. No, uh, I wouldn't let me uh, five year old watch. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I think it is an important and powerful film. But it's also, I mean, it's not without its flaws. We've discussed them. I do also think, aside from it. And maybe this is what is distinct from other Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, geez, um, from other Holocaust stories and documentary. It, it is a good story, however the truth of it go. It, it's a good and uplifting story in the midst of all this horror. Hmm. And so, just on its own narrative terms, I think it's a it's an interesting story, um, and it's just very well done. And the fact that it is doing it in the reality of what was going on I, I think yeah really was it was a brave filmmaking decision to do it and mm. I, I think he kind of sort of arrogantly said at the time there's not many or there's no one else that could do it except me um, and that, that's broadly true I don't think it's entirely true but I think he's um, he's not entirely hubristic there <laughs> I think he 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 proved that he's got more more in him than well um, it, it, it's interesting to note that uh, we, we've mentioned before the tendency of Hollywood to imitate the big successes this was a pretty big success but there was not a sudden rush of Holocaust films there have been a few actually a we've few. Had, um, Sophie's yeah. Choice and the Piano and um, uh, uh, there's been a few I, I think it did break a sort of taboo of making even Trying to yeah, but you, you didn't get lots of imitations the way you did with oh, no. E.T. or Aliens. Or later on, Saving Private Ryan. After yeah. that, we suddenly had a slew of World War II films again. So, But I agree. Um, but it, it, was it imitated in that sense? Then, it, yes, probably not, except we have seen documentary-style films like it since... Um, none spring to mind, <laughs> <laughs> now I think of them... Um, but it was certainly influential um, in reality as well. I mean, it brought... I, and, you know, we it, it has to be said, we live in an age, uh, unfortunately, of people who deny these events actually happened. And I think there is a lot to be said about the validity of producing, you know, with some verisimilitude, the actual events of what occurred. I, I think that's an important thing to do mm. when we live in the realm of people who pretend... It didn't happen. Who idolised Nazis? Um, but then I suppose people could still find ways to admire Eamon um, hey, Garth even in this film. Ugh. Yes, well, it, it used to be said that uh, the the only reason that uh, certain classes of wargamer weren't fans of the Nazis was because they lost. So <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, that's. Um, uh, as true now as it was then, and uh, the film feels, sadly, I don't know they'd ever went out of relevance, but it feels you know human nature has not changed since the nineteen forties, nor would you mm. expect it to evolutionary, um, which is a depressing truth. Um, but it is uh, sadly enough, we're at a time in history where it is worth remembering where certain values can lead you. Um, mm-hmm. There we are. Very good film. Um, I don't want to watch it again for another ten years, but I probably <laughs> would watch it again. It's and which is saying something considering um, considering the film that it is. Hmm. So, nineteen ninety three in film. 
Yes, let's do it. So, um, this, this won a whole bunch of Academy Awards, including Best Picture, say, Best Director. Yes. This was, uh, this swept the board at 93 Academy Awards then, basically. Um, and probably rightly so. Uh, the piano got in there as well, uh, and Philadelphia, which we'll come back to. Philadelphia. And see, there's also, yeah, that, that's pretty much it, um, outside the foreign language. All right. Let's uh, hear the so, in terms of the box office, um, considering the way things have been going in the last few years, I, I do see a bit of a shift here. Num- number ten, Pelican Brief, oh, legal drama. I Tom mean, Cruise, conspiracy theory. But... I may have seen it, um, but it's probably like any of the other films. No, this is not the Tom Cruise one. This is not the. Tom this Cruise is Julia Robertson, Denzel Washington. Okay, all right. Uh, number nine, Philadelphia, the AIDS film. Denzel Washington the, again, and Tom Hanks. AIDS film and the Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah, I don't know how well that's aged. I I haven't seen it for a long time. Well, lo- like um, Schindler's List, it was here is a subject that nobody's been wanting to talk about, and it's finally getting a big star film treatment. Yes, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again to pass judgment. I, my gut feeling is it's probably not very good <laughs> um, in retrospect, um, but maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, so at, at number eight, Sleepless in Seattle, a uh, romantic comedy with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks again. And Meg um, Ryan. Goodness me. Meg Ryan? Whatever happened to Meg Ryan? I'll have to do a Google. Um, well, she, she, she wasn't, um, young and pretty enough for the standards anymore. I was going to say, she, she went over 30 in Hollywood and that's probably what happened yeah. to Meg Ryan. Um, yeah. Uh, number seven, Cliffhanger, not with Meg Ryan. Uh, not, with, <laughs> not with Meg Ryan, but with Stallone. Stallone and it. a bunch of people who aren't Stallone. I'm told it's very good, actually. I've never seen. I was never really a fan of Stallone. Um, mm, me either, actually. I, well, I, maybe just the kind of films we watch. We tended to watch more Schwarzenegger films for some mm. reason. But um, yeah, I, I think I think he went to, went for a more grounded approach, which wasn't really what I was into at the time. Stallone. That, I, I was just thinking of Judge Dredd when you said a more grounded approach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not a terrible film, actually, but not a good Judge Dredd film, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, number six, Indecent Proposal. Yeah. Uh, Woody Harrelson and, uh, is it Robert Redford? I think, I think so, yeah. Never saw that either. Haven't seen a lot of these films. Too busy studying for my A-levels, I suspect. Uh, number five, The Firm, the legal thriller that does have Tom Cruise in it. Oh, that's it... the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> yes, all right, yeah. Uh, it, it is another John Grisham adaptation. I was going to say, these are all Grisham things, aren't they? I'm never really interested in those films. Uh, th- this one, uh, Schindler's List, came in at number four. Really? Okay. Uh, number three, The Fugitive, uh, the remake with Harry, with uh, Harrison Ford. No, I did see that. It was all right. I, I don't think it deserves to be better than Schindler's List. Though, <laughs> I didn't feel enthused about it, but, but clearly many people did. Yeah. Uh, number two, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, I actively dislike that film. Actively hate it. But, oh, right, <laughs> carry on. I just, oh, <laughs> I don't think that'll have aged well in 2022, let's put it that way. Um, mm. Comedy. Well, I'm starting off as not particularly a Robin Williams fan, so the thing that everybody would, would say was great would leave me cold anyway, so. Y- yes, yeah. Uh, oh. And at number one, a little thing called Jurassic Park. Oh! Which I, yeah. I probably ought to see one day. Hi, oh, it's it's very good. Is the short answer? Um, it's better than any of the ones that came after it. Um, hmm. 
which is not a, not a surprise. But um, oh, I this, this is day. also the year that River Phoenix overdoses. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Ugh. Well, there we are. Yes, we probably should. In fact, we almost made next week, uh, next time, Jurassic Park, but we've decided against it. Yeah, um, in, instead we're going for a film that was nominated for six Golden Raspberries. I was going to say, I'm not sure we're doing a masterpiece here. But Though we'll, it we'll didn't see. win any of them. Oh, well, there we go. That's, but it, it's, it's a film that I really have an awful lot of time for, so we, we will be back with that. We will. You've talked me into it. I, I've always wanted to see it. So we'll leave that hanging in the air as we sign off uh, with no funny outro, considering it's the Schindler's List episode, for Ribbon of Memes 38. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.